Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Take your Bibles and open them to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to be studying the first couple verses, and the title of my message is Slow Down and Meditate on the Word of God. And that is the word of the Lord to us today, slow down, slow down. Now the book of Hebrews is written in the first century to the first generation of followers of Jesus Christ the first generation of believers after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Primarily, they were Jewish. The audience of this book were Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, who are beginning to second-guess their decision following Jesus. They're beginning to doubt that they made the right decision. They're beginning to second-guess because in order to embrace Messiah, their Savior, they had to leave the religious system that they were raised in. Now, most of the Jewish people believed that the Jewish system of religion known as Judaism was all that there was. And in order to do that, you would have to neglect the 330 prophecies or predictions of the first coming of Jesus Christ. That over and over again, as the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the Lamb and sprinkle it on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Tabernacle every single year, year after year, it would be a reminder that one day the high priest wouldn't have to do that because Messiah would come and he would pay the full price for the forgiveness of sins. And they wouldn't have to go into the Holy of Holies. And when Jesus came... Most rejected him, but many received him. And in order to follow Jesus Christ, they had to make a commitment. And when they made that commitment, they literally lost everything. They lost their identity. They lost their family. They lost their source of income. And in many cases, they were ostracized from community to the point where they lost even where they lived and the people that they grew up with. It was an all-or-nothing decision for this audience, this group, that this letter was written to. So now they're dealing with it. They're struggling. While we may not struggle for those reasons, I have found that many folks that have dedicated their life to following Jesus and are born again come to a place in their life where they start to second-guess their decision to follow Christ. Things get hard, things get difficult, trials come, uh, and and I've even heard this before. I've heard people say, you know, it was easier to live life when I was an unbeliever than it is as a believer, but that's not true. But people feel that way. You may even be second-guessing your relationship with God right now, having doubts, concern about whether you made the right decision or not. And so what Paul does then, God does now. Paul takes out a pen and he begins to write a letter encouraging and strengthening their faith. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the way that your faith is strengthened, the way my faith is strengthened, is for me to open up the Bible and allow God to speak to the issues in my life. The Bible is a valuable resource, the most important resource in your life when you're hassled, when you're doubting, when you're worried, when you're second-guessing you too can turn to the Word of God to gain God's wisdom on any subject, to answer any question, to encourage you and strengthen you in the hassles and issues in your own life. You see, we're separated by a couple thousand years from the audience that Hebrews was written to, and yet we're very connected to them because we have and face some of the same things that they face. As we learn in the first chapter, he said, he said, be careful to take heed, the more earnest heed to the things that you've heard, so why? You don't drift away. And there's a lot of drifting among believers today. And yet God has given us his word filled with precious promises of God's faithfulness in our lives. 
Would you turn your Bibles over to 2 Peter? We'll get back to Hebrews. You can put a, put a marker there, but in, go over to 2 Peter chapter 1, which is to the right, 2 Peter chapter 1, as God wants to encourage you through his word. Could it be that the hassles and the issues and difficulties you're facing today right now are actually being made worse because you don't go to the source of your help, Jesus Christ? You don't come to his word on a regular basis? Notice in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter writes, and he would know. He hung out with Jesus for three years. He failed and was restored by Jesus. He was very close to Jesus. And he tells us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which, verse 4, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Let me read it to you in the New Living Translation. And we know Jesus better. His divine power gives us everything we need for living a godly life. The divine power gives us everything we need for living a godly life. He's called us to receive his own glory and goodness, and by that same mighty power, he's given us all of his rich and wonderful promises. Every issue in your life is solved through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And how do we gain the knowledge of Jesus Christ? As he's revealed himself in the word. Remember, we learned in the very beginning when we opened up the book of Hebrews that we wouldn't know God if he didn't choose to reveal himself to us. We wouldn't know. That's why people make up all kinds of false religions and all kinds of false ideas because they don't listen to the revelation of God in his word. And Peter says today that the way of peace and the way of confidence and the way of perseverance and endurance is knowing Jesus Christ. And if you spent your entire life, all the life that you have left, getting to know Jesus better through his word, through prayer, and through service, you would be a better man and a better woman for it. He's given us all things, all things pertaining to life and godliness. Now consider that. He's given us all things pertaining to godliness. That's our relationship with God. That's our vertical relationship with God. Everything we need is given to us through Jesus Christ in order to relate with God. And he's given us all things pertaining to life. And that's how we relate to one another. All the interpersonal issues we have, all the difficulties we have with people. We have everything that we need in Jesus Christ. The Christian life is a complete package. And so you don't need Jesus and man's wisdom. You don't need Jesus and men's solutions. You don't need Jesus and drugs. You don't need Jesus and alcohol. You don't need Jesus and a pastor. You don't need Jesus and a mentor. In him, you have all that you need. Everything that you need. Now, God has given to the church, pastors and teachers, so that we might understand the word and use our gifts. But you don't need me in order to get through life. You don't need me in order to understand the Bible. Because God has given to you his Holy Spirit, believers, that God dwells in you. And that the Holy Spirit's like a flashlight in the dark. He illuminates and makes the Bible understandable. If there's one thing about the Bible I hear the most is, I just can't understand it, Ed. I just can't understand it. I read it and I don't understand it. I don't think so much the Bible's a difficulty for the things that we don't understand, the Bible is really a difficulty for the things that we do understand. And the Bible is not hard to understand, especially for believers. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't some challenging places. There are some challenging places in the Bible, for sure. And there are top tens. I mean, people have written books on Bible difficulties, so there's definitely difficulties. But you don't want to put the Bible down and exchange it for something else because you've hit a couple places that are hard to understand. Let me say, if that's you today, you go, Ed, I've been reading the Bible, I've been trying, read the Bible for six months, two years, whatever it might be, and I'm just not getting it. Stop reading where you're reading right now. And today, do two things. Open up later this afternoon to the book of John, which is the fourth book in the New Testament. The book of John, it's called the Gospel of John. Open and begin to read there after you do number two. 
Ask God to help you understand the Bible. Very simple prayer. Say, God, I'm about, you know, I've had trouble reading. You know, just talk to God. There's no formal flowery language for prayer. You can just do something like this. You could say, God, you know, it's been hard for me reading the Bible and I haven't been understanding much of it. So the guy at church today told me to do this, to open up to John, I'm doing it, and I'm asking you, help me to understand it. And as you start reading John, you're gonna find out there's a lot about Jesus that's very easy to understand, to receive and accept. The problem is, is that there's a lot of confusion when it comes to the Bible because many men and women have adopted uh, part of the way the world thinks, the world's methods, and the world's advancements have definitely infiltrated and confused the church today. You know, with scientific advancements and everything that they're finding to help solve disease and all the, the knowledge that's increasing, as the Bible predicted, in the last days, knowledge would increase. But, but knowledge is increasing, and men are getting smarter and smarter, and they're finding more and more solutions. But the problem is that the world's not getting any better. It's not improving to the point where we're finding that it's worth it. Oh, it's good that people are being healed and it's good that medicines are being developed, but man, what, what man is doing, I mean, I, I've, made, I've, I've seen this again and it just seems like every week there's a new article on how important it is for us to conquer Mars. Like that, that's the big deal for men. And here's the issue. When man starts with man, everything ends with man. And what a circle. It's like a dog chasing its tail. When there's nothing outside of the wisdom and knowledge of man, you know what man does? Man worships man and knowledge. And he's been doing it for centuries, from the very beginning of time. And the way that the world operates, I mean, you live in the world, you work in the world, you might even be in a field of scientific advancement and knowledge, and, and the world has bought into a false system of belief. that We call it humanistic evolution. Why do we call it humanistic? Because it begins and ends with man. I mean, think about it. If the origin of man is just a blob of goo or a monkey, either one, doesn't matter. It changes all the time. And over time, that blob grew an eye and, you know, had some hair, and now we've got legs and all this nonsense. And there you are, man. Here you are. You arrived. If you're just a blob of glue, who do you, a, blob, a glue, boo, whatever you are, I don't know what it is, whatever you are, if that's what you are, then who do you answer to? Yourself. And when man answers to self, we live in a chaotic world. So, so let me give you a verse that's really easy to understand in the Bible. It's the very first verse of the very first book. And it says this, in the beginning, God... And here is the course of your life. The course of your life is simply this. You either believe it or you don't. And that will take you on. There's only two options. You either believe it or you don't. There's no mixture of the two. Either in the beginning God or people replace that in the beginning man. See, the Bible gives you direction for life. And because of the advancements and methods and all the thinking in the world, it's infiltrated the church and confused so many. I dare say someone listening to me right now is really confused about the origins of man because you're unwilling to believe the very first verse in the Bible. It's not as confusing as you make it out to be. God created you in his own image. You bear the marks of God. He put eternity into your heart where that is a longing to be right with your creator. But sin has separated you from God. And that's probably the number one reason why people don't read the Bible. People don't read the Bible because it seems as if, and it feels as if on every page, as you're reading it, I know the words are there, but the end of the section, you're reading it, and you're reading all this information, but it really is just saying, you have sinned against God. You have sinned against God. You say, well, I'm going to try to another book. And what does that say? You have sinned against God. You don't need anybody to define that for you because you know your life is messed up. You know that you're not right. You know, despite all the justifications, all the smoke and mirrors that you use to cover up your life, inside, when you put your head on the pillow at night, you know that you are not living a life that pleases God. You know that. And so what do you do? 
You either come clean before God and you repent of your sin and submit your life back to your Creator, or you go on living life, doing your own thing, your own way, and we just have to ask, how's that working out for you? How's it working out for you, living your life according to your way? And it's at this point where somebody says, well, it's doing pretty good. I got money in the bank, brand new car, couple houses, doing pretty good. Really? How's that going to get you into heaven? Well, Ed, I'm a good person. Also, good people with a lot of money, cars, and a nice house, they get into heaven. Yes, Ed, of course. I really try to do more good than I do bad. The only problem is that's a man-based thought. That's a man-based thinking that in order to get into heaven, which, by the way, you do believe in heaven, so then if there is a heaven, then there is a hell. And if there's a heaven and a hell, then there's a God that created them, right? So if you believe in a God that created you in heaven and hell, why aren't you living according to what he says? Because what he says is only perfect people get into hell. Or excuse me, heaven. (laughs) Edit that. Only perfect people get into heaven. And you know that you're not perfect. And I know I'm not perfect. So then what gives? Well, in order to bridge the gap, between imperfection and what God requires. God supplied what he requires. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to sacrifice his perfect life in exchange for all those that would put, all those imperfect men and women like me and you that would place their faith in him and trust him with their lives. Because I can tell you from personal experience, a portion of my own personal testimony, that as I lived life my way, doing my thing, the way I wanted to do things, it didn't work out pretty good for me. It actually brought me to a place of brokenness and hopelessness to which God responded. And maybe that's you today because it's in Jesus Christ that a life has changed, where a man or a woman is born again. It's in Jesus Christ that you and I are able to become a new creation and old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In Jesus Christ, we have principles and truths that will change your life from the inside out. The knowledge that's in Jesus Christ by faith will transform you. There is power, great power in the gospel, in the good news. Paul said that he believed in the gospel and he was not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation for all that believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. He believed in the power of the gospel because the power of the gospel is enrooted in the author of the gospel, Jesus. His death and resurrection. And as, Paul, as Peter said, the Bible is filled with precious promises. Consider these if you're taking note. There's the promise of help. The Bible says in Psalm verse 50, verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble and I'll deliver you. Call upon me when you're hurting. I'll deliver you. There's the promise of comfort in Psalm 27, verse 10. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. There's the promise of encouragement in Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. There's the promise of forgiveness in Psalm 86, verse 5. For you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to those who call upon you. And all the promises of God are true. Because you know, a promise is only as good as the person that gives it. Anybody here, and you can answer out loud, anybody here have anyone in their life break a promise to you, yes or no? Yeah, we all have. But in the list of people that have broken promises to us, God is not on that list. He has kept all of his promises, so much so that in case we ever doubt while we're waiting, because some of us are waiting for promises, we misinterpret the patience of God and the waiting on God like he doesn't hear us or that he doesn't care. But no, the Bible says that as we wait on God, where strength is renewed, that God uses the waiting periods in us to grow us and to strengthen us. But just in case you're doubting the promises of God, just in case you're doubting God, The Bible says of itself, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It may not be totally settled in your heart yet, but it is settled in heaven. 
His word is sure and steadfast. God is immovable. He is trustworthy, and he will never break his promise with you and with me by faith in Jesus Christ. And so we come to, with that in mind, Hebrews chapter 3. And I want to draw our attention to one principle, to a couple principles, but I want to emphasize one in these first two verses. Hebrews chapter 3. We just thank God for his promises and for the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 1, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house. He says, hey, look, guys, you believers, you followers of Christ, you holy brethren, you've partaken of the heavenly calling. You're saved. The divine nature is working in you. You have escaped the corruption from the world. In all your doubts, in all your drifting, in all your difficulties, in all your concerns, all your second guessing, all your wondering, he says, consider. Mark that word. Would you circle it? Consider Jesus. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. Circle the word consider and right next to it, deeply consider. You can write the word understand fully, the phrase understand fully. It also means to observe and take notice. And then I'm going to give you another word I want you to associate with this. Uh, It's not the definition of the Greek word, but it is deeply connected, and that's the word meditate. So just jot it down somewhere if you like to write in your Bibles or in your notes, meditate. The idea of slow down in the difficulty, slow down in your thought life, slow down, take every thought unto captivity to the obedience of Christ, slow down and consider the apostle. The word apostle means to be sent. So Jesus was sent to us, and notice it's a capital A. And it's not, it's not the, the technical definition of one of the 12 apostles. It's a generic word in the Greek that means one that was sent. Jesus was sent to us. And the high priest. Now this is an official phrase that points us back to the many high priests in the Old Testament of Judaism that would go every year into the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle and the temple as a part of their worship and also a type and a picture of Jesus to come that would take the blood of the lamb and sprinkle it on the lid or what is known as the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And every year he would sprinkle that for, for the covering of the sins of the people for another year. Though that blood in the Old Testament didn't take away sin, It just covered it one year, covered it one year. The high priest would have to do that every year until Jesus Christ came, the one true high priest who the Bible says didn't cover our sins. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's the high priest. He says, consider him. In all that you're going through, consider him. Slow down and think about it. Slow down and observe him. Slow down and receive from him. Slow down and consider him. Notice, he's the high priest of our confession. Now that word confession means to say the same thing. You know, like the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The idea of confessing our sins is to say the same thing about them that God does. To confess our sins and say, God, I have sinned against you. And yes, we as believers still continue to sin. So we confess our sins and we ask for forgiveness. And what does God do? He cleanses us and he wipes away the stain. And he reminds us of the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus. We confess. That's why, that's why I like singing so much. I didn't start out that way as a new believer. I didn't like the singing part of a church service. I just didn't like it. It was weird to me. It just didn't make sense. Now, it's kind of dumb that I even thought it was weird because I would go to worldly concerts all the time and scream my head off at concerts. But the music was different too. It was crazy metal, all that. It was crazy music. So when I come into a church service, and in our church, they led, uh, they led worship with a piano. I'm like, I don't know about this. I don't think I can be a Christian. If this is a music, I'm not sure I'm going to do this, all right? I don't think I'm going to make it. And so I would come in late after music, and I would leave early. That's what I did in the early days because I just didn't think I could do it. The Bible study I could do, music I couldn't. But over time, 
God taught me the importance of music. God taught me the importance of worship. God taught me to embrace different genres of music, especially that which glorifies God. Whether it's the old hymns or some new modern song, that doesn't matter which, as long as it glorifies Jesus Christ, man, I need to jump in and, and enjoy it. And I love corporate worship because it's really the closest thing that we experience as it relates to unity. I mean, think about it. Any of the secondary issues that might be in here, any of, well, you know, I don't believe in this, Ed, and I'm from this denomination, I'm, all that secondary stuff it isn't even there during worship. It's not even there. What are we doing in times of worship? We're all singing the same song pretty much at the same time, saying things that glorify God together in unison. Some of you sing with such a beautiful voice. Some of you sing with not such a beautiful voice. Others of us make a joyful noise. Some of us whistle and hum, but we're all heading in the same direction at the same time to the same tempo to everything together. It's the closest taste, I think, of heaven singing together. Whether we're singing a cappella, whether we're singing with a full band, whether it's a piano or a guitar or a harmonica, who cares? When we're singing together, we're together. And nobody's really arguing about last night's dinner. Nobody's really arguing about, well, you know, our church believes this and this is how I was raised. And I, none of that's happening. Why? Because we're the closest as possible all caught up in the presence of God together. It's a beautiful thing. That's why we take this music with us and we sing in the car and we sing in the shower and we sing while we're while we're cleaning or we're listening to worship music, while we're driving or while we're working around the house, because it, even if it's just one of us, we're then in unity with the Lord singing praises to Him. And it just has a way of... You know, music is a powerful force. And it can be used for great worship. And as we see in the Bible, it can be used for great false worship. As we see in the book of Daniel. And God is wanting to do a work of unity and that we might have the same confession. We confess today in the life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We confess today in the death, in the torturous crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We also confess today together the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension of Jesus Christ and His soon return. It will happen at any time. We all confess in those essentials. We confess together the virgin birth. We confess that God alone is the creator of the universe, that God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We all have that same confession. And we're to consider who we confess. That's what he's saying. We're to consider. We're to slow down and carefully consider, understanding fully. Not just a quick look, not just a quick glance, but a long focused gaze. And I have to say, this has become a foreign concept in our modern day society and culture. This idea of slowing down and paying attention. We have become a society that doesn't pay attention. We have become a society that is fast, 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 fast. We got to go as fast as we can. We've become a society, I know some of you work, you know, you, at work you've gone through a layoff, so now you have double the work and half the staff. And so you go and ask for help, and you go, what are we going to do? I got double the work and half the staff. And what do they do? They send you to a seminar on efficiency, which basically means that you work three times as hard now. That's efficiency. You do everyone's work that was laid off. And now you're just running, 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 but what happens? The burnout rate is going through the roof. Because you can't, efficiency, you know, it, there, there are definitely ways that we can do things better. I get that. But, but what's happening in our society is they're trying to get more out of you than you're capable of giving. And people are being broken and crushed under the weight. But how about something that's a little bit more closer to home? Because we live in a culture today that our minds are literally being re-engineered. Our thinking is literally being changed right before our eyes, literally. 
minds change literally right before our eyes literally. And you say, Ed, what do you mean? Well, there's going to be a generation, if the Lord doesn't come back soon, the next generation is going to look back on our generation and shake their heads. Because they're going to do a study in the proliferation of social media and the proliferation of smartphones and tablets. And they're going to be able to come to the conclusion of just how much damage it really did to our society and our generation and the generations to come. If you don't believe me and you're still skeptical, consider what a day looks like now for a typical kid or a teenager or maybe even you. We glance, flick, flip, scroll, slide through things, give them a double tap here, a thumbs up there, most times before we even open the Bible. I mean, you wake right up and boom, what did they post last night? What's going on over here? What's happening over here? You even get to the point where you're so absorbed within your smartphone or your tablet, you're so absorbed in it that you're double-clicking pictures you're not even looking at and appreciating and seeing because it's fast, fast, fast. You go from Instagram, you go to Twitter, you go from Twitter, you go to Facebook, you go to Facebook, and who knows? You know, I've unplugged so much from that, I don't even know what else is out there. And the kids, that's all they're into. Your kids, my kids. And, and don't, don't take this like as a pastor speaking at you. I've had a smartphone since they were invented. I remember carrying all these pagers when I was at work and being very jealous that my boss had a pager with a keyboard on it. It was the primitive version of the Blackberry back in that day. And I begged him to give me one until he did. And I remember reading the news and buzzing all the time. And, and now look at us. And so we're flipping, flipping, flipping and going through and double clicking. I don't like this. I like that. And even sometimes even stopping. I think I'll say something about this. And then posting and boom, boom, boom. And then life is going on all around us. So that now there are all, all kinds of the world is studying all these things. They have all kinds of syndromes and everything there. But I'll tell you what I see. I see people on vacation. They are in the moment. They are in one of the most exotic, most beautiful places in the world. And it's... I got winded just doing that. <laughs> and now instead of being there, we're taking pictures of being there. Oh, don't misunderstand me. Obviously, we're going to take pictures and we're going to have memories. That is not what I'm talking about. It was so bad at Disneyland that they now have a policy that forbids the selfie stick. Because people were getting crazy with it. They were getting crazy. They were on rides, and it was hitting out. You know, it was just like, oh, everybody's there. And everybody's walk. watch out for your stick. Watch out for your stick. And it was just crazy. So you can't take it in anymore. They'll take it away from you. I don't know that from experience. <laughs> but I do have a selfie stick. Who else has a selfie stick? All right, well, we'll have a little support group after service. I would dare say today as a pastor, the challenges that I've seen over the last few years, that you're having a hard time paying attention to me right now. Because your phone is buzzing, clicking, moving, brightness, and, and you don't know you're even using the Bible on your phone. I'm not opposed to that. Although I do think you should get a paper Bible. Let's just say you're using your Bible on your phone, your iPad, and then a text comes up. And automatically your attention's taken away from me. And then it's a text, you know, what are you going to have for lunch? I can answer it real quick. I want this. And they go, no, we're not going to have that. And before you know it, we're singing the last song. And you're wondering what kind of beans you're going to have at Chipotle, man. And you're just like, I don't know. That's what I want. And it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. It wasn't too many years ago. It was probably, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. I don't know what it was. That God really busted me on this because I was at a conference. I wasn't teaching. I was at a conference. And I was with someone from another, another pastor. We went together, but uh, for some reason we were separated uh, for this session. And I was sitting over here, and he was sitting over there, and I was texting him across while the guy was teaching. I was tech We had a long texting conversation, the whole thing. And, the, and was, I felt like heaven was saying, Ed, what are you doing? And I had to give a real strong revelation 
And I had to give God, allow me to give me a revelation of where I was, that I'm in the presence of a Bible study with a man gifted as the pastor teacher, and I'm not paying attention. And it happens in everyday life too. I can't tell you how many times my precious wife, Marie, this is how it works. I'm on, my, I'm on the couch doing something on the phone, and she's behind me in the kitchen. And all of a sudden I hear, did you hear me? No, she doesn't say it like that. <laughs> so, it's like this, did you hear me, honey? No, no she'll, she'll say, well, did you hear me? I go, no, I didn't hear you. So I just said such, such, so, so, and I'm just like, well, I didn't hear you. Well, you're probably on your phone. I mean, we're not only feet away. It's not like our house is like super huge. The kitchen's right behind the couch, like right there. I could feel the heat of the stove on my couch. It's right there. And Marie's there. I could feel her presence. You know, guys, what I'm talking about. And not at least once a week, she's upset with me because I'm not paying attention. And she's true. It's true because I'm focused on my phone texting, emailing, love communicating. And it's not even in a bad way. It's just the way it is, right? It's not even bad. We're not, I haven't even gone over to the bad. But, you know, I, many times, you're always on that. It's always that phone. It's phone stuck to your hand, you know, while she's on her phone. Your phone's stuck to your hand, you know. It's like, babe, life has changed. Still unconvinced? Are you still unconvinced? Because some of you remember that you had a bookshelf dedicated in your house to a collection of encyclopedias. Do you remember those? That's where you used to get information. Or you used to use the card catalog. Do you remember the card catalog? Where was the card catalog? The, oh, there's a such thing as a library. That's right. And that was the only place that you would go to find information. Or you would ask a trusted elder, someone older than you, that's been around longer than you. You would ask them a question and they would give you information of their own experience, and we would have this respect for our elders because they were so smart. Today, if I asked you a question in less than seconds, you would spout off an answer because it's right in your pocket. I can tell today, too, when I'm having meetings with people, and I have frequent meetings uh, with guys all around the city, primarily pastors, and I already know how the conversation's gonna go by the position of their phone. If their phone stays in their pocket, we're gonna have a pretty good conversation. But then the phone will come out and it will be on the table. And it will be on the table one of two ways. If it is put on the table face up, then it's gonna interrupt us three or four times. It's gonna flash, buzz, beep, and maybe even be picked up by the person. And what I like to do, I don't like to leave it in my pocket because it's uncomfortable when I sit. So what I like to do is I do take it out, I put it on the table and turn it upside down. Because that, it's always on silent. So upside down <clears throat> and I keep it there. And when you turn it upside down, you have the setting there, well, it, won't, it won't affect you, it will be gone. It won't, it won't interrupt us. And now you're kind of thinking, how, what do you do with your phone in conversations? We have a rule in our house no phone at the table. No phone at the table. I got adult kids, I have to tell that. No phone at the table, but so do I. Why? Because when we're eating together, we need, but how many had a rule, no phone at the table 10 years ago? Nobody. There weren't phones to worry about 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Maybe I need to go a little bit farther. Technology is changing us. The, the way that the world works changes us. And the Bible says, which the Bible has the truest. See, all these changes are temporary. They're just temporary. The Word of God can transform your mind. You can be renewed by the transformation of your mind by God's Word. It is living and powerful. And the answer to the Hebrews was, consider and paraphrasing that for us today before we head out is slow down and consider Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Turn over to Joshua chapter 1. We've got a few minutes. Joshua chapter 1. I don't want to leave without emphasizing this because Joshua is in a place of difficulty himself. He's in a place where He's going into the promised land. He's taking over for Moses. He's fearful. He's concerned. He's second-guessing. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7. 
God says, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. God has revealed himself in the Bible. And Joshua only had the first five books of the Bible, the law of Moses. And that was going to be the key for you, Joshua. Be strong, be courageous, and use the Bible. Use the word in your life. Notice verse 8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall, and there's that word, meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Be of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, if, if you leave here today and go, oh, you know, Ed's all down on technology, you've missed the whole point. We need to adapt ourselves into the culture that we're in. But we have to do it in the right way, by trusting in the Word of God and not the human methods of man, not getting our answers from everyone else, but coming first to God, letting God's Word be in us, meditating in it day and night, letting it drive our lives, letting it answer every question, letting it give us insight and wisdom, and living our lives according to the Word of God. And how do we do that? We do that through meditation. Meditate on it. Now, in Joshua chapter 1, the word meditate in the Hebrew literally speaks of slowing down, thinking things through. When you hear the word meditation, though, it's most often associated with meditation in the world. Now, in, in the world, when meditation is mentioned, the meditation that's mentioned there is from Eastern mysticism. It is not from the Word of God at all. As a matter of fact, I've got an article here. Let me read to you the first paragraph. According to Buddhist teaching, the self is an illusion. The religion preaches a fundamentally selfless worldview, encouraging followers to renounce individual desires and distance themselves from self-concern. To advance this perspective, millions of people around the world practice yoga and meditation. That's the world's solution. Yoga and meditation are rooted in Hinduism. Buddhism is just a form of Hinduism. And it's a selfless, you know, if the idea is in order to reach nirvana, you just got to deny yourself, deny yourself everything, food, pleasure, and everything. But haven't you ever wondered the, the inconsistencies in this world? If Buddhism emphasizes the denial of yourself and all things, including food, why are the statues of Buddha so big? <laughs> just consider that. I mean, the message must have not gone to him because it's inconsistent. Meditation is not this idea that we, we have received in our world from Hinduism that you just empty yourself so you can become one with the rocks and the trees and one with it. That is not from the Lord. Meditation in the Bible is exactly the opposite as the world teaches. Is that any surprise to you? That the Bible is teaching exactly what we grew up knowing and learning and what's so popular today in society. Meditation, according to the Bible, is filling yourself with the truth of God's Word. It actually has the picture of murmuring and speaking under your breath. Not in a sinful way or gossip way, but rather the idea that Joshua is given here is that the Word of God is going to be in your mouth all the time and you're going to speak it and you're going to listen to it. And there's another picture of it. You're going to chew on the Word of God. You're going to take your time and chew. It, it, it attaches that idea of chewing and meditating and slowing down to a cow as a cow chews its cud. It has that cud taking every piece of nutrient out, sends it to the stomach, brings it back, chews it some more, sends it to another stomach, brings it back. And you guys get what I'm talking about, right? Bringing it back, you know I don't need to explain that to you. Chewing it till finally all the nutrients are gone. That's what God is will for you with his word. So how is it possible for you to grow in God's grace and knowledge when all you're doing is flipping and looking and double tapping and on your phone constantly, continually, or whatever you're into. It doesn't really matter. 
and never just slowing down and going, man, God, what do you want me to do? I mean, just even think about Bible study at your church. If you just come here once a, once a week, you have 52, almost 52 hours of Bible study. Let's just say you spend an hour during the week meditating on that. Now you've got 100 hours. Don't you think 100 hours will get you a lot farther than zero? I do. And what if you just have a five minutes here and two minutes there and six minutes there? And, and before you know it, you're not keeping track of it, but your life is changing because you are strong and steady in the truth of God's word to meditate. And I believe the word of the Lord for us today is slow down and enjoy the journey. Be there, not just present. One of the biggest mistakes I made as a dad in those early days, and I had to learn it the hard way, is I would be there with my kids physically, but I wouldn't be there mentally. My mind was somewhere else. I was always caught up with whatever was going on at work or the early days of ministry, and I wasn't there present with them in the moment. What's true with kids, you can also be true with the Lord, to be present with Him in the moment. That's what the definition of abiding is, moment-by-moment dependence. And if I just read the Bible and I don't understand it, and read the Bible, I don't get it, and you're not chewing on it and slowing down and being available for God to speak to you and use you and encourage you, life will pass us by. And we really want to live the life that God has given to us. We need to slow down and tune in to the Lord. The cure for fear and anxiety and second-guessing and doubt and concern and wanting to run away and wanting to quit and wanting to just run out on the marriage and wanting to give up on the kids. The cure to not liking this about the church or not liking that about that church or not like... The cure is to live in the consciousness of the presence and the power of God who dispels all of that in our lives. And we're content and satisfied with Him. How do we learn about Him? But through His Word. Through the Word of God that's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. You don't believe me that you're to slow down? Remember what David wrote in Psalm 23? He said, The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me. Of all the things that the good shepherd needs to make us do, he makes us lie down so that we might rest and trust in him. So Father, we ask that you would take this truth of considering you and make it come alive in our lives. I see uh, these things in my life at varying degrees. And I pray, God, that you would give me a deeper, focused consideration of who you are and what you've done in my life. For our church family, you have so much for us to walk in by faith. So many open doors. So many things that we don't even know yet. So many people to reach. People to love. People to serve. That that your word is settled in heaven. That we can trust you, God. And would you just infuse in us Give to us the power to slow down. Not only be present physically, but also be present mentally and spiritually in all the situations you lead us to. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, today is the day. We're not going to leave without inviting you to turn away from your sinful past and to embrace the love of God. And so if you're here today, you say, Ed, that's me. I desire and I want to get my life right with God. I believe, Genesis 1-1, that God is my creator, and I want to come to him humbly and ask him to forgive me of my sin. If that's you, would you stand to your feet? We want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. God bless you right here. Who else would say, that's me? That, that we, want to, we, we want to encourage you in this decision. We, we want to, you know, standing doesn't save you, so like, that, that's not the point. The point is that God is calling you to a public, like it's as if Jesus was walking through the room right now and he would look at you and he'd say, you follow me. What would you do? You'd get up and follow him. And so we want that picture in your life to get up and follow Jesus today. You're listening on the radio, pull your car over. Take some time and let's pray together. You're downstairs, 
Even if I don't see you, God sees you and He loves you and He wants you to be right with Him. He did so, he, he wants you to be right with Him so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on your behalf. The perfect for the imperfect. The sinless for the sinner. And so, who else would say that's me? God bless you in the back over here. Today's the day. This is the moment. You're present. You're present with me now all the way to the end. And God is calling you to a decision. And Jesus said something really powerful I want to leave with you before I pray with these guys. He said this, if you're either for me or you're against me. Maybe you've never considered that your posture of life is actually against God, but it is. In another place in the Bible, he actually uses more graphic language that you're an enemy of God. But you don't have to be that way. God is declaring peace to you through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so if you have responded standing or sitting or in this room or not, pray with me, would you? And you're talking directly to God. Why? Because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you can pray something like this. Repeat after me. God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. Not because of my good works, but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I believe you sent Jesus to live for me, to die for me, and I believe he rose again from the dead to forgive me of my sin. And I dedicate my life to following you. From this day forward, help me to turn away from my sinful past and to turn my life towards you, God. And God, I know anyone, anywhere, they come to you, you don't reject them. And I just pray it's real and genuine and sincere. I'm grateful, God, that I don't know the hearts of men, but you do. And that your heart would just minister to my brother, Lord, that you would comfort him and encourage him. Maybe a couple brothers, good. Just, Lord, you would just, you would manifest yourself as the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation. That today would be the day of great encouragement. And Lord, there's a lot of other emotion in this room that's not being expressed. But that you would just pour out your spirit upon us. That you would have your way with us. And we would be broken and moldable in your hands. In Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.